Hello, hello, everybody. I'm your host, the Wiz of Ecom, and welcome to the Symposium Podcast, where every week we bring the highest quality professionals in the industry to discuss topics around mental frameworks, high income skills, and business. This is a no nonsense, action oriented interview that will be an asset for you on your journey of building and scaling to $10,000 a month and beyond. And now, welcome to the Symposium. Welcome to another episode of the Symposium by Utopia. Today we have two exceptional guests, two of my favorite people that I've met in the online space, two absolute beautiful souls who are here today to help teach us about lead generation with cold emails. I'm super stoked for today's call because these two legends are both instructors within our platform. They have directly helped hundreds of the Utopians make tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars through their cold email campaigns and today they will be answering questions around every detail of lead generation that you have to help you make some more money so ladies and gentlemen let's go ahead and welcome carson and Cade. how you doing gentlemen doing great Wiz. thanks for having me how are you doing Cade? doing wonderful once again thanks for having us Wiz. No problem. Guys, we're going to jump right into this. That's what the symposium is all about. We want everyone knows your guys' stories. Everyone knows your guys' sauce. But we got to figure out the hard-hitting questions that are going to make us the most amount of money. So question number one that we want to jump right into is, what are some of the most common mistakes you guys are seeing beginners make with cold emails? Yeah, so I'll take this one first. The biggest things that I new when I started out and I see a lot of other people do is they underestimate the amount of volume you'll need to book one call, especially off the start. We'll touch on this later, but as a beginner, you have no social proof, no results, no nothing. You do have to stand out. You do have to do things properly. If I was a beginner going back, I would do a lot more volume, a lot more work. I would also try and figure out how I can spend the least amount of time to get results as possible. This isn't from being lazy, but I see a lot of people just manually personalizing like five emails a day sending those out wondering why they're not getting results and it's physically impossible to get those kinds of results with that limited amount of work even though they're putting in hours and hours of effort into their emails but those are the things that i've seen when i started out and others that have started out and going off of what he said I, I see a lot of beginners make that that mistake is underestimating the volume but also underestimating or you know, lacking the knowledge of, of what needs to happen on the, the technical aspect of, of cold outreach or any, any outbound outreach. And uh, the, the, a lot of the basic mistakes that I see beginners make is you know, they, they can consist of not cleaning your email list, um, burning through domains way too quickly, not using highly targeted lead list. And uh, a big, one of the biggest mistakes I see uh, beginners make, like Carson said, is spending way too much time personalizing 10, 15, 20 emails a day and understanding or not knowing why they're why they're not getting anywhere. Beautiful. Interesting. And you guys are talking about social proof for beginners as well, too. I've been finding it very difficult for beginners to find a way to actually get book calls without any sort of social proof, without any sort of track record. They just created their offer. They're looking to get their first client. How can they stand out within the inbox to actually get someone to jump on a call with them? The main things is you have to go above and beyond. If you do not have an offer that is well recepted by the market. Well, obviously the first thing you should do if your offer has traction, you will book calls right away. Like if you're selling something that is super attractive, they're going to hop on a call with you, even if you don't have any results. But 
if you're selling something that you can't get people on calls for right away or is a bit more challenging, you have to go above and beyond. I was listening to an Alex Hormozzi podcast episode and he said that the people that he hires for his video editors, they send him like 10 video clips of him speaking and re-edited right away. And if they're good, he hires them. So if you want to get hired, you got to go above and beyond in either your offer, your approach, or just the overall way you conduct yourself. Because this can be done over email, this can be done over DMs, this can be done anywhere. It can be done in person too. But taking the time, taking the effort to show that you're either really good at what you do or that you understand that you can actually make an impact on a business owner's life. Absolutely. And going going off of that, uh, as far as social proof, what else you need to have is a, uh, a high-quality landing page with a VSL that has your face in it if possible. That alone will significantly skyrocket your, your conversions, your positive responses, and overall the way people react to your cold outreach. And a lot of people don't take this into, into they, don't, they don't factor this into the equation, but whenever somebody gets an email from you, they get a DM from you, they, they have no idea who you are, they're going to go Google your name, they're going to go Google your business, and you need to understand what's going to pop up when they're searching you, whether it's your, whether it's your social media whether it's your, your landing page, your, your company's uh, you know, website, whatever it might be, you need to make sure that you have social proof to prove that you're a real person and that, like Carson said, that you understand that you, you know what you're doing. Question that a lot of the utopians have been asking is surrounding the amount of emails we should be sending on a daily basis per domain. So, what is your guys' sweet spot for that after the domain is actually warmed up? We'll talk about the domain warming up process as well, too. But say it's all set up, everything's ready. How many emails should we be sending on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. I'll take this question first. So, uh, there, there's a lot of ways that you can, you know, this, this, there's not an concrete number for for most people um however um, um for the most part I, I i typically send around anywhere between 30 to 50 emails per domain per day um and now these are all google workspace accounts so you know the the reputation is a little bit higher than if you were to use a a different uh email host and but one thing to keep in mind is to understand how your audience reacts to your cold emails um, I, I've had domains where I can send significantly higher volume and, and not get marked as spam. And I, I've, I've ran offers before where, you know, you, you send 10, 15 emails and you can get, you can get a domain disabled. So I would, I would keep it with the way things are currently going. I would hover in between the 30 to 40 mark just to be safe. And if you're still having issues around that number, then lower it even, even a little bit more and increase your warm up limit. And really just pay attention to how your your market reacts to your offer and go from there. Carson, you want to add on? For sure. Yeah, I completely agree with what Kate's saying there. The only thing I would add on is that in addition to the quality of the results that you're already getting, you do have to keep in mind that if you're sending all of these as initial emails or kind of a mix of initial end follow-up emails and warm-up emails i just do the 10 warm-up emails per day some people recommend more i haven't really seen anything wrong with going 10 to 20 then i just do 30 new and 30 follow-ups i only do a two email sequence because for me personally i get 95 percent of the results off of the first two emails sure i could email people to see if they're interested later but i'd rather just start a new sequence of something that's more higher converting so 
I just do 30, 30, and 10, so a total of 70 emails per day, but that's just what I do on my end. Perfect. 30, 30, and 10. Um, we touched up a little bit about the domain warming up process, but what is your guys' process for your guys' clients and for your guys' own accounts right now too? How, how are you guys warming up domains? What tools are you guys specifically using and how long does that process usually look like for you guys? Yeah, so I've seen two things work if it's internal or for someone else. This is a bit controversial. I haven't necessarily seen any it's kind of a chance your domain gets screwed over if you don't warm it up. From what I've seen, you can theoretically send emails right away. I've been able to send emails right away off of like day three, nothing happens. About 50% of the accounts go down the drains. If you are pressed for time, you can definitely do that. But if you wanna do things properly, consistently, 100% of the time, if you can't buy new domains, what I would do is I would just put it on instantly. I put it on SmartLead. Either one of those has a warm up tool. You need to send with them anyways, so you might as well buy one of those put it on for about two weeks and then slowly ramp up from zero from five emails per day and then just increase by five every two days until you hit 30 and you're good to go wicked and what about you Cade? what's your your domain warming up process looking like right now yeah no absolutely like like carson said you can you can take a real technical deep dive into this but uh for for most beginners you need to warm up your domain for two to three weeks um to just to be safe just because a lot of beginners don't understand that that deep technical side. So warm up your emails for two to three weeks to be safe. I usually start off after that two to three week mark, I will start sending five to 10 emails per day. And then as soon as you hit that 30 day mark, I increase to max volume. And then, you know, once you do scale up to that point, you do want to watch the domains for an additional, you know, one to two weeks just to make sure everything's going the, the way that it is. And how are you guys watching the domains? What does that specifically mean? How do you guys watch it? Where do you guys watch it? I use SmartLead. I either recommend SmartLead or Instantly, depending on what you're doing. Both platforms have their pros and cons. So I would do, you know, a little bit farther research depending on what you're doing. But as far as SmartLead goes, what you want to do is you want to monitor the amount of emails that, uh, the amount of warm-up emails that are landing in spam. You know, if, if, if a lot of them are landing in spam, then you, uh, you know, obviously there's an issue there. And as well as also your, your actual outreach. If, if your emails are landing in spam, then you know there's something wrong there. Your deliverability is not where it needs to be. And so it's really just about, overall it's about monitoring the domain health. There's a couple of tools that you can use to you know, check your domain deliverability, etc. At the end of the day, you just wanna make sure that your emails are landing in the primary inbox. The only thing I'd add to that, Kate, is I use MailReach.co just as an inbox placement test. You can use GMAS, you can use uh, MailMonitor, you can use a whole other different things. MailReach is three free tests a day, so pretty damn easy to use. Um, I, I don't really trust that Smart Leader instantly says 100% because I've seen emails that hit spam when it doesn't. Obviously, I think this isn't on their fault, but I, I've just noticed this, but... Yeah, using those tools to use inbox placement every couple of weeks or so is the easiest thing to make sure you're not hitting spam. Your campaigns are good to go. What is working for you guys right now when it comes to improving open rates as well as getting more book calls? What have you guys been seeing as a trend? I remember everyone was talking first lines of being personalized. Then everyone was talking about just very short form, quick emails. Then people were talking about going very in-depth and personalized within the value and the follow-ups. What's working for you guys right now to get book calls and improve your open rates? 
In terms of improving open rates, the only thing that I look at, it's a combination of the subject line and the preview text. So I haven't seen too many things change, but the frameworks are use something that generates interest, like a two, three word uh, subject line. That's typically the easiest. That's going to be the highest converting. And the other thing as well, I wouldn't actually say what your offer is in the preview text. Basically, preview text is if you go into Gmail, you can see what the text is before you open it. If someone says like, hey, we can get you more appointments, they're probably not going to open it if they don't want it. This can be a pro and a con. So take it as you may. And the other thing to note is first lines, they're kind of a hit or miss. If they're actually relevant to the email, use them. If there's something where it's like, hey, saw you're from Harvard, no one really cares because everyone's seen that at this point. But the only framework is just to make sure that people are kind of on their toes and you are being unorthodox. Like positioning yourself laterally compared to everyone else is the only thing that will continuously work. Perfect. And for Cade, same question. What are you seeing that's working for your open rates and your book calls right now? Any frameworks that, that you've been really implementing? Because Carson talked heavily about curiosity. And this is something I do with Twitter and our Twitter hooks is how can we build curiosity for people to go over to the next step of the tweet, which is reading the next step of the actual thread, right? And it's just about keeping people on the edge of their seats to, to actually go through that little mini funnel. The funnel here is, is subject line, preview you open the email now you build a little bit of of rapport with them then they're going to go ahead click a link and then potentially book a call so curiosity is key Cade, what about you what do you see that's working for you guys right now the key is kind of like you said you know it's very similar to a, a twitter thread you you have to maintain interest and curiosity throughout every step of the cold email funnel you know when somebody opens an email you you have to make sure they respond and then you have to make sure they respond to your response and you know book a call the whole nine yards and at, at the end of the day it all boils down to to testing that that's simply the best piece of advice that I can give anybody that's getting started in this space is what works for me and Carson isn't going to work for you guys and you know so every and by what I mean by that is is every single offer is is different and you know, as me and Carson have sent, you know, hundreds of thousands of emails for difference of offers, we, we've seen what works best for, you know, different types of offers. But at the end of the day, it comes down to your ability to test at scale. You need to test short emails. You need to test long emails. You need to test soft call to actions. You need to test direct call bookings. And so at the at the end of the day, um, I would I would keep your emails short if possible keep them relevant to the prospect and make sure there's enough interest and curiosity for them to want to move forward to the next step of your funnel. Yeah, because everything's very data oriented right now without actually seeing the data of a specific individual's campaign, we can't tell you what to actually optimize. However, what are the main KPIs that you guys are looking at that indicate that we need some sort of new test to be implemented? Main thing here, Kate, is as like, what is your testing process in a sequential order? How are you testing something to either improve the open rates or to get more book calls? What are you testing in a sequential order? No, absolutely. And so as, as far as KPIs, KPIs range from, from niche to niche, but just, you know, a, I guess you could say a baseline. Um, I would aim for anywhere between 60 to 90% open rates. And then as well as anywhere from a 0.5 to a 2.5% beating booked rate. And as far as a response rate, response rate, you know, I, I've seen people, they, they will post a, a screenshot of a 10% response rate. 
but 90% of them are, are, are negative. So most people just take into factor their response rate, but not their positive response rate. You, people need to understand out of that response rate, how many of them are positive, how many of them are moving forward to the next step, and how many of them end up converting. And, you know, because every every email platform out there will track your negative responses, your out of email responses, and everything in between. So you need to understand how many of those are, are positive and but as far as what that testing looks like, I will typically test a cold email script every 500 to 2,000 leads that receive that script. And then based off of that, we will optimize. You know, for example, if the positive response rate was low, then, you know, we might change call to actions. We might change subject lines. But at the end of the day, we're all trying to hit that, uh, those, those baseline metrics. Interesting. Okay, so you're sending out a specific script to 500 emails to 2000 emails. Based off of that, you see what KPI is not reaching up to the industry standard benchmark. From there, you make a hypothesis of what you have to fix up. And then you go ahead and test that new hypothesis to another 500 to 2000 different emails. And then from there, you're going to be, uh, be able to find an actual winner. Is that correct? Correct. And then by the time, by the time you get to 20 to 30,000 emails sent, uh, you should have a, a pretty decent winning script there. This episode is brought to you by The Utopia. The Utopia is a community of 4,500 active entrepreneurs that share insights around starting and scaling your own business to reach $10,000 a month and beyond. Whether you have been running your business for years or are dreaming of starting one, our community of like-minded individuals will take your business to the next level. For more information, check out the link in the notes or visit theutopia.io. And now, back to the show. Awesome, awesome. And then after the 30,000th email, that is when you would probably know that the offer is a winner or not. And if not, then you're going to scratch that offer and move on. So is what you're saying 30,000 emails to be able to test an offer is good? Um, or, or would you say that it's a lot? Uh, you have to send a, few, a lot less emails, actually? So as, as far as the offer goes, you, you will have the ability to know whether or not the offer is, is a winning offer within the, within the, depending on your data source, within the first 500 to, to 5,000 emails. And uh, at, at the end of the day, cold email, cold outreach, nothing of that can, can fix a bad offer at, at the end of the day. Now, the beauty about it is you, can, you, you do have the ability to validate your offers extremely quickly. And... Uh, as, as far as that 30,000 number, that's more so for, for constant improvement and, and constant, uh, you know, small changes to optimize even farther. But as far as validating an offer, you could, you could need as, as few as 500 emails. Wicked, wicked. Carson, do you want to add anything to any of this from the testing side, the testing process to validating an offer? Yeah, I'll go bit in depth on this like if i was just starting off the only things i would test is i would test the offer so that can be for instance hey we can edit you 10 videos per month like if you're doing a short form content agency that can be like the second one being hey we can get you in front of your ideal prospects with video content that helps them convert into like further down your funnel i would test that i would test your industries the first two tests right away everything else you don't even know if the people you're reaching out to actually care about what you're offering so make sure you have that. Um, I would look at your peers. I would look at what's reasonable. If you're sending out a thousand emails to book a call, that's probably not great. But if you have a good call book, right, you probably keep going. 
from there, I would optimize the actual body to get more replies. And then I would optimize or test out what's resonating in terms of case studies, benefits, first lines, other things like that to get a higher percent of people that are replying positively. So while you're increasing your replies, you're increasing your positive replies as well. And then if you're optimizing completely for booked calls, the one thing I know we'll dive in on a bit later, and the one thing that is really missed is what you do after you get the reply in the first place. I've seen some people where they have, well, myself like last year, where I would have literally thousands of replies where they didn't get booked into a call because they weren't followed up with enough. They didn't turn into a concrete yes or a concrete no. So I think a lot of people actually underestimate how much work it is to turn a positive reply into a call. But from the perspective of just seeing if your offer is good, test out the actual offer, test out the benefits, test out the industry first. I like to throw a bunch of stuff against the wall, see what sticks. Typically, we start off with about four or five different scripts that are completely different in terms of the offer, in terms of the benefit, in terms of the outcome. Just to see what works, what doesn't, we pick the winner and we keep testing until we're confident we have something that is a decent winner. From there, we do a lot of the little optimizations that Kate talked about, like testing your subject line, testing the script, testing little words, testing what time you send it at, testing where you send it, like platform, things like that. And from there, it's just doing the small A-B tests to find the ultimate winner. Wow, that was that's a very good piece of information that you brought up about the nuances of the follow-up, right? You can get a positive reply, but if they haven't given you that concrete, yes, let's jump in a call, how do you actually handle that? What is your process for handling that? How not, You said that you got thousands of positive replies last year. How did you get those people to actually jump in a call with you? Yeah. So our main focus is if it is a concrete, yes, we're interested, I dial them right away. Right. I use Rocket Reach just to grab their number. It's automated in our setup, but I grab their number, I dial them, I booked a call right away within like five to ten minutes. But if it's something where they're asking for more info or more pricing, it's not worth it calling them as much because it's easier for them to digest the info. What I would do on that is I would give them enough info for them to know if they don't actually meet the criteria to work with you. For instance, for me, we don't take on anyone below 4K. So I'll say we start at a minimum of 4K. And from there, what I'll do is I'll pique their curiosity. I'll showcase why we actually need to have a conversation and go from there. Like for instance, our pricing one is our services start at a minimum of 4K. Uh, obviously it is variable. There is a few nuances to it. And we need to have a further conversation to see if this is one worthwhile for you and two, what's actually going to work for you. Are you opposed to discussing this further sometime tomorrow afternoon or in the next couple of days? That's our framework off of the initial reply. You can do a whole bunch of other things in your CRM. If you have a CRM to do automated follow-up sequences, because most likely they're not going to reply right away to you. Um, the other thing I would do as well that I kind of meant to mention this earlier is I don't really put Calendly links. I would put Calendly in the signature though, just if they want to book, but you're being passive. You're not throwing it in their face, but same thing, they can book whenever. Uh, I would just basically set up in your CRM. I use closed CRM. We have a whole system that's basically automated, delegated to a setter, but I would set it up so you have over a month, like seven emails, three calls. Obviously, you rotate between, you're bumping the email up, you're doing case studies, you're doing different angles. After it gets into the later portion, you're basically just reminding them of the service in the first place. Like for me, one of my later follow-ups may be, hey, are you still interested in being featured in various media publications, right? 
super simple, super low friction. I just want the positive reply. Like, yeah, I'm still interested. Then I dial them, then I book them in. Simple as that. As Carson said earlier, a lot of people significantly underestimate the amount of work that it can take to turn a positive reply into a booked call. Now, of course, the people that book straight away from a, a positive response, you don't have to hold a conversation with nothing. You know, those are those are easy. But the bigger the prospect, the longer uh, it's it's going to take to get them on the phone. They're always busy. Yeah, they might they might be interested in your offer, but you're gonna have to follow up with them ten to twenty times. Uh, you know, before you can get them on the phone. And the, the biggest, one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give to somebody as a beginner is do not be afraid to pick up the phone. If somebody has their phone number in their email signature, do not be afraid to shoot them a phone call. And, you know, you don't have to be fancy. You don't have to just, you know, get them on the phone and, and don't be afraid. And, and t I, I see a lot of beginners just simply make the mistake of being afraid to pick up the phone and being afraid to dial the, uh, the CEO of a seven, eight, nine figure company. But if that's what turns a positive reply into a book meeting for you, then that's what you need to do it. But, uh, uh, you know, some other things that most beginners don't take into account is you need to try to be responding to all of your positive responses within the first five minutes. Um, 15 minutes is, is pushing it. You know, the faster you can respond to a positive response, the higher of a chance that they're going to turn into a book call. But as, as far as that, uh, you also have to make sure that you're not flooding them with too much information in an email sequence. You know, if, if you tell them everything they need to know and, you know, or I, I guess, well, you need to tell them everything you need to know. But if you tell them too much, then, you know, you can add, you end up adding more sales friction than that, that doesn't need to be there. So make sure you always maintain a level of interest and a level of curiosity for these prospects. For sure, right? Because the sales process is you just want to answer their questions. You want to figure out what they're stuck on specifically, and you use that as your leverage throughout the entire sales process so that um, you're, you're not bringing up new objections that they can just randomly come up with throughout their experience with you. So you're telling me that on the follow-up sequence, after you have a positive response, it's very tailored to that individual. It's a very personalized communication and conversation that you're doing back and forth. It's no scripts. It's no um, automations. Some, if Carson goes and responds to one of my cold emails today and says he's interested in my program, but he's confused about X or Y, I would respond back as quickly as possible, make it very powerful and potentially jump on a call with them as soon as possible too. But when it comes to follow-ups for individuals who may have opened the email, um, which is to an extent a, a positive intent that they're interested in this offer because there's curiosity that they clicked over to. How do you guys automate your guys' follow-up sequences to get people to actually respond for the first time? Carson, you want to answer that one? Going off of what you said there, Wiz, it's somewhat of a hybrid thing where we're not dialing everyone that opens our email, for instance, because to be frank, we don't necessarily have the resources to do that. I don't employ a team of 20 SCRs, unfortunately, at this point. But um, if anything, we just... <sighs> Here's the thing, like if you say, hey, I saw you open my last email, that's kind of creepy, right? So I would just say keep the email campaign flowing as normal and just make a note of it. I would use that intense signal of them viewing the email three more times as an indication that they are interested and it is worth calling them up. But for instance, if someone opens your email once, then it's not necessarily worth doing anything. 
only if they go above and beyond to showcase that they are interested in your offer that you should be calling them or you should be doing anything outside of the ordinary. The one exception I may note to this, and this, I haven't really thought this through, so I don't know if this is actually something you should watch out for or not, is if you get like 30 different emails, you get 30 different opens from the exact same uh, email tracking thing. If you want to use something like MailTrack to track if people are opening your emails, you can. But if you get like a ton, way more than normal, that can just be someone forwarded your email to the whole company. They could be making fun of you. They could be showing what a good email it is. They could be seeing if their marketing department's interested. So I would call them if they have more than three opens. Other than that, I kind of leave it as is and just keep following up, keep your sequences normal. Okay. And what is that sequence looking like? Like you said, after the third open is one you would probably call up, but what is that second and third email looking like in your follow-up sequence? Yeah. So in our, we just do a normal, we just do like the first email and then it depends. We do one of two things. We either do a bump email. So that could be anything like, Hey, did you get my last email? Obviously it's a bit more nuanced than that, but that's the framework that we follow. The third email in this instance would just be a case study or a different use case, whichever or. What I do see another option that I have seen floating around is you can do like a one-two punch. You can do something like, hey, we can help get you in Forbes. And then you can say in the second email, reason why I asked if you want to get in Forbes is because we've helped clients like XYZ get in Forbes and they've seen this kind of result. So you're looking to do something similar. So you're doing the framework of getting interest in the first email. And then from the second email, you're elaborating with the case study, use cases, showing you've helped similar people to generate interest to then book a meeting. But you're making it as low friction as possible to reply to the first email. That's kind of the strategy behind that. Okay. And what's the time frame for sending these emails out? How long does it take for the second email to come after the first one? Sure. It does depend on the industry. I see anywhere from two to four days working. You do want them to remember that you exist, but at the same time too, you don't want to spam them. So just keeping a happy neutral between them is easiest. Perfect. What about you, Cade? What's your process looking like? No, absolutely. So so with the follow-ups, you, you're, you're playing a fine game of following up enough to get a response from them, but not following up so much that you're going to get marked as spam. Because getting marked as spam, that happens enough, your, your domains are done for. So you, you have to play a fine game of, of keeping yourself relevant, but also knowing when it's, it's, you're, when it's worth more for you to go reach new prospects instead of following up with the old ones because there's a very high chance that they're not even interested in your offer to begin with. So instead of a, a annoying you know, people to a certain degree, you're almost better off going to reach new prospects. But depending on the depending on the niche, depending on the offer, uh, typically we'll follow up anywhere between one to three times. Uh, three times at the maximum, you know, the bigger the company, the, the more follow-ups that we will utilize. Um, and so, like Carson said, the time frame's pretty much the same, two to four days, and then maybe three to five days for the next one after that. And But basically, you want to keep yourself relevant. You want to make sure that they have the information they need. Sometimes a quick bump email works best. Sometimes a case study works best. Um, but other times we have we have tested where we'll completely change the the call to action entirely. Okay, you know maybe maybe they're not interested in booking a call or maybe they're not interested in getting more information at the moment, but maybe they're interested in getting a free resource, a free guide, um, maybe even an email newsletter. You know whatever it might be. We if if we can't directly get that lead on the phone 
then what we'll try to do is we'll try to get them in the funnel some other way. So if we can send them a free resource, um, you know, something like that, and then basically what we'll do from there is if we send, you know, a free 10-page guide to somebody, then we'll go follow up with them, you know, in, in three to eight weeks, and then, you know, you're already familiar with them, you already have your foot in the door, then it makes the process significantly easier. So at the end of the day, it comes down to testing, understanding your prospects, and making sure you're not annoying the people that you're following up with, otherwise you will burn through your domains. Perfect, perfect. Um, I think the next question is going to be um, one where we're all going to be fortune tellers and look into the future over here. Let's talk a little bit about where the industry is heading, the cold email industry. Is there actually a future for it? Is it too saturated? And how are you guys specifically leveraging AI? And we're not talking about Allen Iverson here. We're talking about artificial intelligence. How are you guys leveraging AI for email for cold emailing? And where do you guys see the future of cold emailing? Carson, I would love your opinion on this one. Yeah, so it's kind of a two-part question. So I'm going to talk about really where cold email is heading in the future. I view any type of prospecting as really getting attention. This can be over LinkedIn, cold email, ads, networking events, anything. As long as you can get attention and as long as there's a way to show up in front of someone, I don't think cold email will ever die. In terms of what Google is doing right now and what Outlook is doing and what these big companies are doing, I do think they are going to try and get away from salesy words and emails. The issue they're trying to combat is CEOs getting thousands of emails per day and random phishing emails that do happen for company accounts as well. So if salespeople like us, marketers like us get caught up in the crossfire, it's whatever. We just have to adopt and use different words and potentially warm up our domains, do our setup a little bit better, a little bit more careful. Maybe it's sending less volume. Who knows? But I think the other thing that comes off as a change, this is the second big thing, is people don't actually have trust in the Hormozzi perfect Grand Slam offers anymore. They have been hammered by beginners who don't actually have proof of concept. And frankly, people think they can just say, hey, I can get you 30 clients in 30 days or less. You don't pay up front anything and think they have an amazing offer. The market decides what an amazing offer is and just spouting out different claims just makes the market learn quicker and saturate, not saturate, but have higher awareness quicker. So I think proof of concept, proof of results is going to be a lot greater effect than just saying you can have a better offer, right? So actually doing the thing for yourself, documenting your case studies, having a ton of social proof, being involved on social media, posting a ton of content, being at local trade shows, things like that. I think those are all going to help. And Kate, I'll let you keep going on where you think the trends are before we dive into AI and everything else. No, absolutely. Moving moving forward, like Carson said, the, the trends are slowly moving towards having a, a personal brand, having social proof, and having proof of concepts. People are, are slowly beginning to get more and more cold emails, and every offer is, slow, is, is starting to get based around the same thing. Um, you can no longer guarantee people crazy results um, because even if you can get those results, they've heard similar things so many times from people that are not able to fulfill on that, that they have become, I guess they've almost built up an, an, an immunity to it, you could say. So, you know, the, the future of cold email is going to slowly start relying on your, your social proof, your, you know, for example, having a personal brand on social media, having YouTube content, having a LinkedIn following, having a, 
a landing page, etc., is slowly going to start becoming very, very important in the space, as well as having very in-depth and detailed case studies, and as well as having the video testimonials from your clients to match those case studies. Those are going to become very, very crucial in the space, and uh, I can let Carson touch on AI. For sure. Before we hop into the AI, I want to add one thing is something that I obsess over that I've been tweeting about for the past couple of years has been market sophistication, right? Audiences are getting smarter. Audiences are starting to understand more. They can't be gypped. This isn't, um, we're not getting cold emails of people saying, hey, I'm an African prince that needs $50 million or I'm going to give you $50 million. Like we get smarter with time. And the more time that goes on, the more people that are involved in the space, the more value that's going to be put out there, which means the audience gets smarter. The smarter that the audience gets, the more demanding they are going to be for better quality products and better quality services and better quality uh, outcomes. They want the best of the best. So now the entire industry is competing for innovation. The industry competes for the greatest quality output and that just makes everyone both on the consumer side and the producer side a lot smarter than they were a month and a half ago so everything is always going to be about market sophistication over here since so many people are cold emailing alex ramosi just tweeted he had 300,000 copies of uh, a $100 million offers that were sold. Out of those 300,000 people, with all the people who are buying cold email courses, all the people starting their own agencies and their own freelancing services, everyone starting to cold email, the audience will only become smarter. So what you hear right now may not work three months down the road. And that's the big part of this industry is if you are not adapting, you will die. But let's go into the, the AI side of things now. Carson, what are your thoughts on AI and cold emailing? Are there potentials over here to actually leverage? Um, do you see it as an asset? Do you see it taking over the industry? Or is it something that's compatible and complementary with the current agency model that you guys have right now? Yeah, so in its current state with the way 99% of people know how to use it, I would say it's complementary. Right? The two use cases I can come up with that virtually anyone can do are using it to help you with basic copywriting frameworks. And that can be something as helping you figure out what position in which industry, what types of company problems are going through, what they're actually gonna care about so you can use it in your copy. I do like that in terms of writing actual email sequences. I don't necessarily think it is there yet completely. The other aspect is this has been hammered for the last two years, but you can use AI first lines where I do think AI is either there and people haven't discovered or there and still to be really developed from the AI side is using AI to make relevant emails that touch on the exact pain points people are going through and make it as relevant as possible just with AI. What I mean by this is you can come up with some relevant piece of actual information, like say Wiz, we can say, hey, saw you're hosting a podcast. Are you looking for video editors or something like that? We can include other pain points or other things into our questions as well that make it relevant. And from there, like it, it isn't this hard that hard to do. It's already doable, but you can scrape any text web page and get the text input into ChatGPT. But I think the ability to make it into a cohesive system where you can get any type of information you need on the prospect and their company, put into ChatGPT, have it write a one-to-one -one personalized email that has an insanely high meaning book rate, but do thousands at a time. I think that is the next thing in sales. I think it's either very close to being there right now, or it is there right now. 
I think personally, our team is pretty damn close to cracking it if it's if we haven't by now already. So I do think a lot of these things are coming true and AI will only help and it will become more relied upon. But at the same time, you're only as good as the tools you use. I don't think AI is going to replace any top salesman's job or any top marketer's jobs. It's only going to make them better. What it will do, though, is it will cap the people at the knees who don't actually have a skill and who aren't AI bulletproof in that sense. Like if you're going to get laid off, you're getting laid off. It's not because of AI, it's not because of the economy. It's because frankly, you suck. <laughs> that is beautiful. That's harsh. Ladies and gentlemen, that's very important. You heard it here first with Carson. Um, if, if this comes true, then we all praise Carson. If it doesn't, we get our pitchforks and we kick him out of utopia Frankenstein style. But let's go with Cade, bro. Cade, no pressure now. No, absolutely. I agree with what Carson said. AI is only going to help those who are good. It's only going to help them become better. And those those who already suck, it, it's they're going to try to use it as as a band-aid. It it might help some of their, you know, their their beginner level issues, but it's not going to solve the their their true root problems, which is is simply just not being good at sales. AI will never replace the the personal and emotional aspect of sales. Sales is more than just sending emails. It's more than just, you know, writing a few scripts. It's more than just having some simple personalizations. AI can never replace the emotional aspect of sales or the psych psychological side of sales, which is where most people lack to begin with. So as, as I, I see AI completely changing the industry over time, as it becomes to you know more personalized, uh, more personalized emails, um, e there's there's lots of different ways that AI is going to change the industry, but the but the biggest thing is it's not going to replace that that human to human interaction. It's never going to be able to pick up the phone for you. It's never going to be able to do any of those things that make a great salesman a great salesman at the end of the day. Totally right. I, to I completely agree. I've been leveraging AI right now to to answer questions around things that are factual in the space, for example, health tips and all. But like, like I, I can't ask AI to help me create a mimetic on a strategy for a specific guy's brand who's in the agency space. I can't ask AI to create me a personalized um, um, connection with a brand owner who is doing tens of millions on a yearly basis, right? These types of skills are going to follow you for life. These are high income skills that are irreplaceable. And that's what our objective is. Myself personally, I've spent years studying many things, but most of them will be replaced by AI. Am I butt hurt? No. Am I going to adapt? Absolutely. I have to just figure out where the world is moving towards and I have to adapt or die. That is the theme of today's call. Everything from the optimizations to the KPIs to um, the, the warming up the domains to AI right here. Everything is adapt or die. You will be left behind if all you want to do is complain and say, oh, woe is me. So otherwise, gents, this was an exceptional call. Thank you guys so much for your time. Carson and Kate, you guys are legends. I'm so grateful for you too. Um, that was this episode of the Symposium. Do you guys want to add anything else in between? Yeah, get good. For real. Absolutely. What about you, Cade? Practice, put in the reps, do not get discouraged, keep putting in the work, keep improving yourself. And uh, if you ever have any questions, feel free to shoot me a DM on, on Twitter or Discord. Just letting you guys know if you are from Utopia, I will be sure to uh, answer you first. 
absolute legends. Thank you so much, gents. You guys are amazing. And that is this week's episode of The Symposium. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found this conversation valuable, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Focus on implementing the items discussed in today's episode because money loves speed. We will see you next week on The Symposium by Utopia.